You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, uh, uh, again, we always want to say thank you for this day, um, for your word, living and active as it is, and its work on us for the freedom that we have uh, through your gospel, um, the gospel of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, help us today, um, help me in a particular way to, to, uh, to speak what you would have me speak, um, for us to hear clearly what you would have us know. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, just letting people sort of trickle in and all that stuff. I'll just kind of chit-chat. Um, uh, I think there's three more classes after this, maybe just two. I can't remember. Class we're calling Short Summaries. Good morning. As you're coming in, there's a handout there on the chair if you want to grab one. Um, it's a handout is probably an understatement. I think it's 10 pages, which was really kind of <laughs> embarrassing to me. Short summaries? I mean, come on. <laughs> so, um, but uh, uh, series, um, I think it's starting to become clearer to me at least. I don't know what we're going to do with it yet, but clearer to understand uh, the content of our conviction. I think that's what I'm trying to do here in some ways as we think about these short series uh, or, or summaries on uh, various topics like sin, um, what is sin's continuing nature, what is quote-unquote the proper subject of theology, and that's a quote because it's something that Luther himself coined, um, the, uh, the engagement of the sinning human with the justifying God and the location, the specific location of scripture um, is a it's a scriptural theology um, and that's the theology that, that we have and this is obviously a very theological series um, but the short summary to make sure that we understand the content of what we say is our conviction because we've been convicted we can always praise the passive voice um, I think that's very important actually um, it's not our conviction it's what uh, we've been convicted by as the living and active word comes and does itself to us it's very active uh, 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 what is sin its continuing nature what is the gospel what is it not what is the law what is it not what does it mean that the word is living and active what is grace what is faith what is repentance and now in some ways getting to uh, the, the nitty-gritty it's the question a lot of us very properly ask, or at least I'm asked a lot, because I think this is where um, not always as clear as we need to be. Um, what about sanctification? Um, what about discipleship? What about good works? Um, and then I, I added this in because I think it's a clarifying word. What about vocation? Um, because I think we sometimes get, um, I'll say this as an intro, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll go over because I don't know if we're going to get to vocation today. We sometimes get vocation and sanctification confused. Um, sanctification, along with justification and glorification, again this is a theology sort of intro, um, are all aspects of the single event of our salvation. Our salvation described in three tenses: past, present, and future. And all this is in the handout. Um, I was saved, um, uh, coming especially out of Ephesians 2, um, for it is by grace that you have been saved, um, and this is by, uh, by grace so that no one may, not by works so that no one may boast. Um, that is our justification, being removed from the penalty of sin. Um, and this word of the cross, uh, which is foolishness to those who are perishing, to us who are 
being saved, in the present tense, it is the power of God. Um, and that is our sanctification. But it's still definitive. It's not yet what we do. It's what God does to us as he saves us uh, from the, the, uh, the power of sin. And then one day we shall be saved, Romans 5.8, um, or Romans 5.10, excuse me, I think it's 5.10, um, uh, where it's in our future and we'll be removed from the presence of sin. This is the picture of our glory, where now this fleshly nature uh, is no more and the perishable is exchanged for the imperishable, as Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, where our glorification, um, our life, as believers um, in the presence of God, where sin is removed completely from us. All of these are single aspects of our salvation. And so our vocation is the place where our works find themselves being exercised in the minute-to-minute life that we uh, experience as Christians. Um, Our vocation, which is the same things to say as our callings, um, vocare is to call, and so our vocation are those things to which we're called, and then it's in some ways just everything else. <laughs> what are our vocations? It's like, what is it not? Um, we go into the places where God has placed us, and we change diapers, we read the Bible, we lead Bible studies, we're evangelists, we're teachers, we're prophets, we're prayer uh, people. We, we make a good pair of shoes at an honest price, as, some, as it's often said. Uh, the Christian vocation of a pilot, do you know what his, his, his vocation is? Land the plane. <laughs> make sure it hits the ground well. You know, that is your vocation if you're an airline pilot. Um, our callings as a Christian, uh, once we're free, and this will be the end of the class, just kind of laying it out there, is, uh, is really kind of everything. You're free to move about the cabinet, cabin. What have you been given to do? Well, then do that. That's our vocation. That's not our sanctification. So we'll play that out a little bit. That's kind of where we're headed today. Does that make sense? Comments on that? Um, I probably should not ask for too many comments because we've got a lot to cover. It's 10 pages for crying out loud. Um, uh, Somebody say something? Where do people think vocation and sanctification overlap? Um, We think of, I put this in there, uh, fill in the blank. If justification describes... um, the once-for-all act of God on sinning humans, then blank describes the day-to-day existence of how a Christian lives his or her life. And a lot of people say that's our sanctification, how we work out our salvation with fear and trembling in the day-to-day life. And I'm saying, and there'd be people that disagree with me, absolutely. That's not our sanctification. That's our vocation. Our vocation is where we live out, quote-unquote, that which we've been given. Um, uh, Our sanctification is the act of God still on us. And if you want to get really fine um, theologically, uh, we are still sanctified by the imputed word um, doing its work on us. It's not imparted or infused into us. And that's a big contention in much of church history. The Roman church, much of Eastern Orthodoxy, the Wesleyan movement, um, and a lot of modern evangelicalism will still hold that uh, the sanctifying grace of God after our justification is is infused or imparted to us. In other words, I get a little bit better every single day. Um, uh, And the continuing nature of our sin being held up by the doctrine of imputation, where we're worded, 
If you've been in this class, this is Logizomai, where I'm worded righteous and I'm worded sanctified, um, uh, where the word is at work outside of me. That's what I'm trying to hold up. Um, I hope it's a pastoral word, which then gives us hope as we find ourselves uh, still anxious and still afraid. Um, why, oh silly boy, are you still doing stupid things? <laughs> um, and I want to say, well, there's a word of hope there, uh, possibly, for those of us where that resonates. It's like, well, because I'm still being worked on, and I'm not, I'm not getting better, and that doesn't surprise or disappoint the Lord. And yet somehow, and I've played this out, um, uh, it doesn't make any difference, and yet it does. That's kind of an AAism. Um, uh, I'm still fighting for sobriety, and I'm still... Even though I'm 20 years sober, I'm still living on the living on a thread, and it's like my, my sobriety hasn't made a world of difference. And yet, on the other hand, the left hand, not knowing the right hand, and yet it's made all the difference in the world. And it's that weird sort of paradoxical sense that I think is where our wisdom uh, is gained. Um, so that's where we're headed, Lord willing, in a little bit of this time. And we'll probably take a license and I may pick some of this back up next week because it, it eases up a little bit the schedule does so let's look at discipleship um, uh, the f- first paragraph just really want to sort of lay this out some interesting pieces um, the word in Greek for disciple methetis is not a particularly interesting word um, uh, in terms of, of its etymology and all that as Valdo's a New Testament professor can get him to chime in on that um, uh, but this is, uh, to be a disciple, it's not a strictly biblical word. You can be a disciple of Aristotle, for instance. It was around at the time to be a, a follower of a particular person or movement is what a disciple is. And so uh, the New Testament, very interestingly, the word is only used in the four Gospels and Acts, so the ones that are written by the evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's not used anywhere else in the, the New Testament, the epistles or the revelation of John, um, which is strange because although they come later in, uh, uh, in the canon, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts are the first five books in the New Testament. The other books, with a few exceptions, were the ones that were written first. And so I want to follow that thread, but maybe Osvaldo can come teach us on that, why that is that the word disciples seem to appear later in the uh, in the first century, um, and whereas before, when Paul and John and Peter and others want to describe those who are followers of Jesus Christ and His gospel, it used primarily saints, brothers, um, uh, and then a few other words which are sometimes used, but not disciple. Disciple is a but, but disciple is a follower of as we use it, a follower of Christ, um, a learner, um, and then giving our understanding. The second part uh, of now we won't go there. Um, third paragraph, um, try to limit our scope a little bit when we think about what is discipleship um, in view of every these pages more than any others. Uh, in some ways, all that we've been talking about for the last several weeks are kept very much in full view. This is the therefore of like Romans 12, you know, and everything. What's the therefore, therefore? You know, it's, I feel like I'm hearing that all the time right now. Um, uh, we can't really pick up in the middle of the story without thinking about the Word of God living and active and our continuing sin in us. And, uh, and then to sort of suspend that thought and start thinking well about discipleship and then sanctification and why that's so confusing. We have to maintain vigilantly 
this memory, especially of sin. That's why we start with sin. If sin continues in the life of a regenerate Christian, as our 39 articles, number six, says, then what does that mean vis-a-vis or in view of discipleship or our sanctification or what we can describe as progress? Because if sin continues, we've got a real tension here. And so that's what paragraph three is starting to try to limit, to think, well, we're, we're disciples of the Lord, but in particular, we're disciples of the gospel, of the word, the second word of God, which is spoken and, and does something, which is living and active and has an effect. And so as the disciples, the first disciples, as Mark and Matthew and Luke uh, and John describe it when the Lord spoke and they dropped everything and immediately, especially Mark, they got up, left their nets and they followed him. What is that word, that word of power that changes? Now we have repentance in mind that turns me from one direction and places me in another where the word is doing that work. We're disciples of that word, disciples of the gospel. Um, uh And then going through um, paragraph four, it's very helpful to personify this idea, um, this living and active word. Mentioned this in the intro, uh, where we could think of the word of God living and active as it is. That's coming straight out of Hebrew. It's probably the most repeated phrase that I'm using, just so we don't forget it, that the word is alive. And if anything, I'm called dead in my trespasses and sins. But the word is alive and it's active. It has hands and it grabs me. It has feet and it chases after me. It has a mouth and it speaks to me. The word, which is a person as it were, the word which was made flesh and then is dwelt among us, Christ will not not get those whom he wants to get. Um, This living and active word uh, has a purpose and an end a telos, if you want to follow that language, um, and is coming. A couple more, and then we'll stop and, and, and talk if you want to. And then in view of our continuing nature, um, we begin to, to try to ask the question, well, then what does it mean with this nature of sin? How do we live our life in this world? And this is where we have to get a little bit, I don't want to say creative, but um, uh, uh, open ourselves to an understanding, to an idea. Um, the new creature is hidden with Christ, Colossians 3.3, declaration that your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's a great verse to keep in mind always and fully here. This hiddenness where we are um, uh, hidden with Christ. So there's a union with Christ, we're in Christ, but yet we're also hidden. And what does that mean to say that we're hidden with Christ? Part of that hiddenness means that the new creature is hidden from the old Adam. So the old And the new, one of the fundamental distinctions that we're trying to make, the old is gone, the new has come, 2 Corinthians 5, uh, where the old age uh, is is overlapping with the new age, the kingdom of God. So we've got like the MasterCard commercials, you know, the overlapping circles, almost like a two-circle Venn, where you just have that overlap. That's where we are. We can call that the simul, as in simul justus et peccator, where the overlap of the ages, the overlap of, uh, of, uh, of what is already, it's like what Mike was preaching on, the already, I am saved, um, but the not yet, I'm not yet fully saved. My, my, my flesh still continues, my sin still continues, I still choose 
because the heart loves and the will chooses. I choose that which the devil gives me to take, um, those kinds of things. We live in that life of the overlap and the in-between. So here's what I'm trying to say. Here's where we have this openness. About um, first full paragraph, about halfway down. There is a gracious... So we've got to keep going back. What is grace? <laughs> um, there is a gracious self-forgetfulness as the gospel does its work and as the new creature thinks of itself less. Um, what can be said about the new heart of one who hears the gospel? should be the gospel. Uh, with that part hidden from the old Adam. What the, and now it's a riff on Ashley Knowles' summary of, uh, of Melanchthon's theology of what the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies, what we called our theological anthropology. Um, it's, it's, we could read Mark and Emily digest that little truism for, for years. Uh, well, now, then the new creature, so we're over here in the good circle, um, what the new heart loves, the renewed will chooses, and the members move. Um, for what the heart loves, if it's a new heart given to us by God, a new heart of flesh, uh, and now, as Paul very viscerally says in Romans 6, you got to serve somebody. So you're either a slave to uh, the, the flesh, law, sin, and death, or you're a slave to righteousness or God. Either way, we're slaves. Bob Dylan's, either way, you got to serve somebody. The question is, who are you on? You know, which horse are you on? Um, as Luther called it, the end of the bondage of the will. Um, are you the rider uh, who's riding Satan? Or are you riding the Lord? Um, that's, a, that's a another way to describe this sort of thing. Um, what the new heart loves, the renewed will chooses, and the members move. Behavior, the observable fruit of the gospel's work, is now placed in its correct place last. As the articles say, a living faith creates a lively faith. The living and active word of God doing its work on us creates a faith which is alive. And this is where James, famous supposed uh, you know, uh, Bible paradox, um, where James says that faith without works is dead. Um, uh, he's right, of course. A faith without works is a dead faith. Now, what's the prescription for a dead faith? It's not to exhort to further works. You don't say to a dead faith, work harder. Um, great story that Fitzsimmons Allison, who I'm always talking about, tells. The retired Bishop of South Carolina, many in the room will know him. He tells a story of a World War II incident. Uh, uh, I, I, surely this didn't really happen. Um, uh, of, say, a lieutenant or a colonel in World War II Gets it, manages to get a jeep stuck in the. Uh, so I'm thinking like mash, you know, the little green jeeps that are there. Gets the jeep stuck on the side of the road, uh, and somebody just drives past and says, "Oh, I hope he gets that out." And he comes back a few minutes later, and this officer has hooked these two kittens uh, into some harnesses and then tied them to the harnesses by, by a rope to the jeep. And he's obviously about to, and he's got a whip in his hand, and he's about to get the jeep unstuck by getting these cats, these little kittens, to pull it out. And the guy's like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I got a whip. <laughs> and what does that mean? <laughs> um, it means the foolishness to think that uh, just because you've got two kittens that you can pull a Jeep out of, of the sand. It ain't going to happen. you got a dead faith, the Jeep, 
and it ain't going nowhere just because you got a whip, just because you've got you know two little kittens hooked up to the jeep, and you can say, I'm going to pull this thing out of the sand. So if there's a dead faith, and you don't get it by works, you don't get it by the proclamation of the law, the, the, the preaching of the law saying, you need to get right, you need to hurry up and finish this up. How do you enliven a dead faith? Well, the same way you enliven any dead anything. It's when the gospel speaks to the corpse in the grave. Uh, the corpse has the dead faith. That, that faith is alive. And now it's been given a lively faith. A, a, a faith without works is dead because a lively faith is always going to have works. And that's also in the next section on good works. Um, that is, heat follows and accompanies fire. So works will always accompany and follow faith as Cramner, because in some ways I'm trying just to say this is a, a Cramnerian theology. Um, he was very fond of saying it's true. This is true, trustworthy, and right. That faith alone justifies. But faith never justifies alone. So what did he mean by that? Because he was trying to, to, to figure out where he was in England at the time and, and, and a little bit off of Luther. Um, that faith alone justifies. Sola fide, one of the great um, Reformation solas. But when that faith is present, it's never present alone. How does it come out? It appears with love. And there we are again back to this place of vocation that the living and lively faith is now given an activity to love. Um, to love, to proclaim the freeing power of the gospel, and then to go forth into the world to love. And in some ways it's that simple. It's not more difficult than that. And so when you look and say, like, gosh, my own life, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of getting lackadaisical. I need to get back into a, a Bible reading plan. Well, that's a good idea. Um, uh, but that's not going to sort of generate a lively faith absent the proclamation of the gospel. Um, it's the gospel alone which is going to wake that that uh, that dead faith. So, comments or thoughts and questions? Um, yeah. Faith and love thing there. Is it, it's crucial, isn't it, to remember that when we speak of love in this way, it's not a sentiment or a feeling, it's actually work, which is what we're talking about anyway. Right? Yeah, actually work. What do you mean? So, I think, yes, you're right, but expand that a little bit. Well, um, love is work. I mean, it, it's, 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 Act of the will to bestow grace on somebody else, right? Yep. And whose work first? I mean, you know this. We love. Why? Because we are first loved. Where it's a living love, it's an active love. The love of God doing itself to us. First John 4, um, where we are loved by God. And it's a great phrase. And now that expulsive power of the new affection, like those Newton balls that go back and forth, that's what I was having in mind when I hear that that verse. It uh it 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 throws out the old, uh, and in comes the new. And it's definitely not sort of just a sentiment or a feeling. But and here we come back to simul justus et peccator. Unfortunately, until we go see the Lord in glory, our glorification, where we are moved completely from the presence of sin. Uh, although the old Adam was drowned in baptism, Romans six. The jackass is a good swimmer. <laughs> and he comes back, which is why we need to come back every single week. It's a good way to think of then the, the, the proclaimed word in a sermon. Why do we keep preaching this? 
because it's good for about six days, and you can come back and and hear it again. Um, and truth be told, uh, it was really given, you know, in the daily office, so that you hear it in the morning and at night, a little bit of the the, the Shema going on there. Um, but we hear it over and over and over again. For we are like a man who looks at himself in a mirror, and when he walks away, he forget what he looked like. And this this love degenerates into just a feeling or a sentiment. And you're like, I'm not feeling it, God anymore, and all that. Um, so it's a good point, Charles. All that comes in says, no love is is an active. It's a work of God, which does something to us, and then we are uh, and we're left. We are the object. We praise passivity. Um, all the time. That's discipleship. What is discipleship? It's being a disciple of the gospel. Yeah, Liz. Um, and then Osvaldo. Yes. Great word. Thank you, Liz. Um, yeah, flesh is a technical word in the way that's used. So we, we should just use the Greek sarks, um, not the Greek out and all that sort of stuff, but we some, sometimes it's helpful to use a word that's not English so that we don't bring in all the baggage with it and we can then develop an understanding in shorthand, like simul. The overlap of the ages, the overlap of our natures, the continuing nature of sin, there's just so much that's held up when you say simul um, when you're doing this kind of work. And so when we talk about our flesh, it's the Bible's word. So that's one reason we use it, so that when we go back and read our Bibles, we... we uh, uh, we, we, we don't wonder what it means. But it doesn't mean we hate our bodies. Like, you know, my hair, my skin. It's not that, you know, oh, this flesh, this, this, these fingernails, um, these, uh, these skin grafts and all that. Or what are those skin tags? That's what I was trying to think of. Um, it's not that I hate those. I'm wondering, what in the world are those things from? So, um, uh, uh, what is our flesh? Our flesh is that part which... Uh, when the heart loves and the will chooses, then our members are captured to that will and that expresses itself in our flesh. So it's not our material bodies. It's not to say that material body, bad. That's Gnosticism. Um, we're trying to say our fleshly nature, that part which, like Paul said, which is perishable and which has to be removed from the presence of sin in glory. Um that's not flesh. That'll be the renewed flesh in the new heavens and the new earth. And if anything, because he's, we will have a bodily resurrection, the Lord is saying, and it was very good when Adam and Eve were made um, in praise of our material body. So I'm, I'm all in with you, Liz. Um, materialism is not bad. Material, in the material sense of grapes and wine and in and our, and our, our, our hair and our bones and our beauty and all that. that all that's going to be redeemed in the new heavens. Um, so, sarks. But then you got to say, which means our flesh, but it's not a bad thing. So, so Osvaldo, were you going to say something? Yeah, just real quick. That, uh, you were talking earlier about the, the Word of God that does its work. And I was trying to understand, like, what does that mean? Sometimes, sometimes I think of it like as a almost comes across as a, like a magical entity. Yeah. Like the Word of God is this thing that uh, just is out there. But I, I learned to think about it more as God speaking. So the Word of God is not some entity out there 
Yep, yep, like Ouija or Harry Potter or something else like that. I'm right with you. Yeah. Whenever you hear, you know, the living, the Word of God is living and active, meaning God, the, the living Word of God refers to God speaking. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so, so substituting Word for God speaking. That's good. That's good. God is His Word. That's a really good word. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, me too. Um, because we don't, that's worth me responding if I may. Um, yeah, it's not to say, I should clarify this in places. Thank you, Osvaldo. That we're not in control then. So it's not just somebody like me or when you read the Bible alone, when I read the Bible alone or anything else, that I can magically, you know, incant God and I'll control him. And and displace with this expulsive power of a new, and it's automatically going to happen. I wish that were true. Somewhere, the continuing nature of sin is exhibit A of why we're not in control of the living and active Word of God. God has to speak, and in His wisdom, He brings it into effect. And sometimes He doesn't. Pharaoh's heart, for instance, you know, it's one of the great enigmas in, in Scripture. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Why did He do that? Um, don't know, but the living and active word of God was the word of law and not gospel for Pharaoh, um, uh, for God's purposes and all, but, but that's a great point. That's a great point. We don't control God's word. Um, thank you. Thoughts? Anything else? Let me at least tell you what else is in these pages if you're so inclined. It takes a while to read, I know. Um. The next section, what are good works? Um, you can go through that. Said some of that, but it, it pulls some of the scriptures in and hopefully sets up some of the the, uh, uh, the 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 questions that are commonly associated. I'm not trying to say everything in these summaries. It's not a systematic theology by any means, but I'm just trying to say something, knowing that there's going to be a lot of people that disagree. It's just to say, well, I'm going to say something about this, rather not say anything, because it typically comes up. Uh, as you're following along this, this thinking or reading. And we get to sanctification. As I mentioned earlier, what is sanctification? Um, to play with the word a little bit, there's a lot of words that are associated with it, whether in Hebrew or Greek and later in Latin, um, which again aren't immediately obvious. Um, words like saint, saint, sanctify, dedicate, consecrate, holy, holiness, hallow, um, all these words have the same etymology. They're all related to one another, which can be difficult in English to hear, sort of like faith and belief are intrinsically related, um, or word and imputation are intrinsically related. And we've got to go through the extra mental game of remembering that. We have to remember when we think about sanctification, holiness, dedication, consecration, godliness in most instances, not all. Um, they have the same root, and so that's just how they're being used. And this idea, given our sin problem of sanctification, and I'll repeat again how we've got to have everything that goes on before us with the continuing nature of sin and the overlap of the symbol, etc., and so forth, we then ask, well, what does it mean um, to say that, that uh, to talk about God's holiness or sanctification, those two words being related? And the oft- I mean, so oft, it's probably 60, 70 times. The Lord your God is holy. Um, therefore, be holy as the Lord your God is holy. We hear that all the time, especially in Leviticus and Exodus, Deuteronomy. Um, this holiness is, connotes always really two things. Um, otherness, where it's set apart 
for an uncommon use. Common being natural, and in that world, that would be sin um, because of the continuing nature of sin. So it's set apart for an uncommon use, and that could be divine or otherwise. It could just be, I'm going to set this apart for the party. I'm going to make it holy. Um, or it could be divine. The Lord your God is holy. He is completely W-H-O-L-L-Y, other, holy, other, separate from sin, different from anything uh, which the Lord God did made. He still remains completely separate and apart. All that is the first connotation we should have when we think about sanctification. And the second, as this, as God speaks, the Deus Decens, as God speaks his word and he does something uh, at his pleasure, God sets us apart and sets us into another. So we're set apart, apart from what? The world, the flesh, the devil, the law, sin, and death. And we're set into Christ. Colossians 3.3 3, For you um, are now hidden with Christ in God. So all that gets played into, and just trying to say the associations that we have when we think about sanctification, not vocation. This isn't yet what and we're made somehow day to day, little by little, better and better in every way. Um, however that little ditty goes, uh, it's being set apart and set into. Um, and the last thing to say about that is it's a definitive work. There's some places where it's a progressive work as well. Um, but on the whole, the emphasis is a definitive work. As we are definitively set apart and set into, for you are dead and now you are hidden. And now you are set into, and now you are hidden with Christ in God. Um, we also have a new definitive status. Peter, you are a holy people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, set apart uh, uniquely for something other. That otherness comes into play when we're talking about sanctification. Still, the aspect of our present salvation, for it is the power for those who are being saved Good wordplay there, I think, is being salvationed. I'll stop here and we can talk. Um, for those who are being salvationed, this is what our day-to-day -day existence like because it's the present salvation. So right now, here in the present, 1043, my sanctification is my being salvationed by God um, even as I speak. That's it. Set apart and set into. We're not yet talking about what then shall I do. That's good. That's a good question. Um, you're set apart for the good works which you've been given to do since before time. Ephesians 2.10, paraphrase. Uh, and we call that vocation, not sanctification. Three tenses. Uh, I was saved. I am saved. I am being saved. I, will, I am saved slash being saved. And I will be saved. Um, sanctification is our present salvation. So, pause. Comments or thoughts? There's a lot. There's a lot more in here. So, yeah, for sight. Okay. Nope, that's good. It takes it's so, a long time. Yeah. Yes. A lot of people disagree with that, but I'm going to say yes, that is correct. So, you know, there's a Simple Minds song about that. That's really great. So, um, so we cannot sanctify ourselves. That's right. Okay. And then vocation is as Christians, our job. Correct. Yep. Yep. So when you said we can't sanctify ourselves, I thought of the Lorax. Remember that? I don't know the new one, but the old cartoon where he picks himself up by the tail and like makes him go. That's that would be if we could sanctify ourselves. That would be it. We can't do it. It's just not in our nature.
to sanctify ourselves. I have to be delivered. Now we're back to proclamation and repentance, just tying back to what we've talked about before, uh, like a package that's inert and has no no locomotion in and of itself. Um, I have to be sanctified. Um, uh, the Lord is my sanctifier. Um, he is our wisdom, our righteousness, and our sanctification. Colossians 1 is all about this, 18 through 30. Um, yes? Um, there's a lot of verses that I'm not sort of choosing not to really let into where it, it lets uh, it gives a sense of uh, therefore put on Christ so that sounds like we're doing it um, I, I talk about that in here I do um, uh, and as you put on Christ put also on Colossians 3 it's a wonderful chapter humility meekness patience gentleness self-control um, but unless we're placed in Christ, that's the first part. Colossians 3 has to be read 3.3 3 before you read Colossians 3.18 through 20. Um, that's the part that's sometimes missed. Um, the definitive work of God, that we are hidden with Christ in God. And now the language, because you have to have a language to describe it. So it's kind of like putting on Christ, the robe of Christ, um, putting on Christ's humility, uh, putting on Christ's... Um, uh, compassion. Um, so then, have the mind of Christ, and that's there's, that's, that's good language, exhortation, and all that. But first, what's the therefore? Therefore, therefore, remember this first, last, and always. God has definitively taken you, dead man, uh, placed you in the grave. He did that via the law and called you out. He did that with His gospel, and now has hidden you in Christ in God. Now you're free to move about the cabin. What are you going to do? Yeah, John. So I'm glad you said it that way because so there's there's real freedom in knowing while we're called to these good works. If someone we love has passed away um, and we don't know whether they're saved or not, and we sit there and say, "Should I share it more or whatever?" That's not on us. Yes. I mean, I Gosh, I want to say yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm starting to cry a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Okay, I'm going to go out. I'm always so sad. So sad at a funeral. And I, I'm, forgive me, because this is probably a common sentiment, even amongst many in the room. But hear this is a pastoral word. I was like, well, you know, he was a good man. Surely that was enough. Something to that extent, that makes me so sad. To wonder at the end of a life. You know, was it enough? You know, the end of Saving Private Ryan. Tell me I'm a good man. Did I earn this? You know, all that sort of question. And I just want to say, oh, you know, let's let his glorification be the work of God's salvation, um, where it's God speaking to the dead man uh, and calls him out of the grave and into his eternal glory. So now the perishable is imperishable, and that which is perishable has been raised in glory. Um, and let us not have fear. But go forth in that rejoicing in the power of the Spirit and that certain and sure hope of the resurrection. Yes, John, that is exactly right. It's one of my biggest soapboxes, uh, is the hope, the sure and certain hope that Easter has for all of us, that our justification, our mortification, our justification, our sanctification, and our glorification is all done through God speaking. Thanks be to God. Um, Craig Smalley's last word. 
God's going to have the last word. We're not. And we should be so grateful for that. We should be so grateful for that. Sorry, you pricked a pimple there. I wanted to sort of go there. <laughs> That's so. why I asked. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, let me pray. Um, Lord, I am always wrong in so many places. Um, strengthen your word where it's right and what you would have uh, us remember and know. Um, uh, speak to us, Lord. Be the God who speaks. Uh, and as you do that, uh, give us um, uh, exactly what we need for the moment. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.